Tonight I was thinking I wanted to talk about um, intimacy and uh, the elections. Uh, however, how am I going to do that, right? I'm not a Buddhist anymore. I am a, uh, I study, instead of Buddhism, I study Bushism. That's my practice. For those of you who are Republican, and I completely respect anybody's point of view, which is what I'm going to be talking about, um, you can study, like, I think you might have, maybe you have, some of you have difficulty with Clinton. So you can study Clintonism. I, my study is Bushism. <clears throat> I'm trying to live a bodhisattva. We are all bodhisattvas, I'm assuming. We are all intentional livers. Not that kind of liver, you know. (laughs) Livers. We all live intentionally. I'm assuming that this group is an intentional group. And I'm also kind of assuming that you sit regularly at least, you know, five times a week or something. Is that right? Well, anyway... um, we can still live intentionally, whether we sit, you know, a lot or not. And a bodhisattva, or a person who lives to wake up, to live an intentional life, in order to be the best person with other people and things and so on, best to be intimate. Bodhisattva is a person who wants to be intimate with everything. So I live and. I think many of us live at the place where we feel separation. As soon as we feel a sense of contraction, a sense of myself, which is the contraction, and other, which for me right now is President Bush, (laughs) that's where I practice. So when I'm listening to the news and there's only a snippet of our president on, talking about something that's important to him, it's really hard for me not to turn the channel, to turn him off. This is not the practice of a bodhisattva. You know, my son, I love my son. One time he, uh, this is totally tangential, so let's see if I can get back to what I was thinking about talking about. But anyway, my son... um, and I were walking out of our home, an apartment, down into the foyer of the apartment building, and there was a, uh, oh, I'm going to confess, I guess. There was a small little Christmas tree on the shelf, and I have an idea. This is what I'm going to be talking about, holding to ideas, which is impossible to be intimate. You're holding to ideas. I was holding to this idea that the people... um, who um, happen to be believe in Christianness shouldn't put their uh, you know emblem thing all over the apartment building because there many most of us in that particular building are not Christian. <laughs> so embarrassing. So what I did when I walked out the foyer with my son Juan Carlos walking behind me. I took one of the little um, round um, decorations hanging off the tree. I took it off and put it down on the shelf. And I kept walking and I heard this little voice behind me say, a Buddhist wouldn't do that. (laughs) 
And he was right. So he's good for me. Because I want to live this intentional life, I want to walk the talk. I want to be what it is we're talking about. And one of the things that I vow is that when I feel a sense of separation, right away all my flags go up. What is happening here? And when Bush comes onto the TV, like I said, I feel this sense of separation. So I'm going to tell you a story. It's a very short story. It's a koan, actually. It's not a story. A student was talking to his teacher. And he told his teacher that he was going to be going on a pilgrimage. And the teacher said, why? Why are you going? Was that a bird? (laughs) Was that a bird? No? Was it the train again? No. (laughs) Why are you going on the pilgrimage? And the student said, I don't know. And the teacher said, not knowing is nearest. Or sometimes it's translated as not knowing is the most intimate. I'm going to ask you guys later what you think intimacy is. So get ready. Not knowing is the most intimate. Why? Because when we have any idea, when we hold to any idea, already I am here and something else, other, is over there. has to be that way. All concepts uh, create duality. One time I was having... um, Doksan with a very good teacher. His name was Eko Narasaki Roshi. Can you hear me? Thanks. Eko Narasaki Roshi. And we were studying concepts. Concepts are really important to clearly know about because they catch us all the time. And it's through concepts that we create a self. Not even create a self. Maintain a self. The self is an idea that we impose on this conglomeration, as you know the skandhas and so on. So I was studying what a concept was and I really thought I had it. I really had a lot of ideas about it. So I went into Dokusan. Do you know what Dokusan is? It's one-on-one teacher, student. We meet. It's very intimate. It's a great thing to do. So I, I had, he didn't speak uh, English so there was a translator to my left. So I was looking straight at the teacher and I was telling him all of these ideas I had about all of these knowings, these insights that I had about concepts, conceptuality, and how terrible it was and everything. <laughs> and then I was going on and on and on. And after about 10 minutes, and this guy was translating for me. And after about 10 minutes, I ran out of my insights. And I just sat there. And then he said something, chapa, 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 chapa. And then that was it. And then the translator translated. And he tra- what he translated was, concept level is superficial. <laughs> Don't be bothered by it. And that was it. It was done. Over. <laughs> that was all my insights. We're gone. Because fundamentally, everything that passes through the mind, and it does pass through, is either a concept, a feeling, or some kind of sensation. 
And if we are not to be bound, if we are not to be separate, if we are not to be contracted in our little selfish, if I may say, separate world, we have to let go of concepts. We have to see through the reification of my point of view. So, you know, when we study the mind, at first, I think I'm telling you things you already know. At first, what happens is, is that we, we uh, grab onto everything that passes through and we believe it. This is the place my son is at right now. But he's beginning to wake up. The next thing that happens is, of course, we begin to pull back our identification from the things that pass through, concepts, feelings, and so on. But we maintain identity with, guess what? With the watcher, don't we? Right? We think that's me. It's not. And then the next thing that happens is we drop, we let go of identifying with that consciousness. And then we think, maybe, that the self is empty. And that's another thought, idea. And we let go of that. And then what's left is this mystery. It's this vast, spacious mind that comes with cognition, comes with this quality of cognition. It can't be found anywhere. It's not locatable. It doesn't have anything to do with good and bad. It doesn't have anything to do with value judgments. It's not mine. It doesn't have a reference point. The latest way that I'm kind of think about it is, it's kind of interesting. We know at a certain age that we all are, that, we've, that we're not children, right? And we know that our ideas about things have changed, our bodies have changed, our feelings about things have changed. Everything has changed, right? Except something. And it hasn't changed. You, you've... You feel, we feel, don't we, that we're the same kind of um, person. There's something in there that's me that was there when I was like 10, isn't it? It's this unchanging, simply awake quality of our mind. It doesn't change. It's always there. It's very close but we miss it. When we come from that place, when we live from that place, when I watch TV from that place, I don't turn the channel because in that place, everything just is the way it is. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to create enemies. We can just listen to what the other person has to say. We can be intimate with our own experience. We can see ourselves in front of us. 
there's another koan that, to me, talks to the same thing in a way. It goes, um, the student asks the teacher, of the three Buddha bodies, which one doesn't fall into categories? And the teacher says, I am always close to this. I am always in touch. I am always here, open, awake, intimate with this. When I'm home, my apartment, I try to practice this intimacy. Even when I'm alone, I can cook dinner in like 10 minutes. I'm really good at it. I'm really fast. (laughs) But when I remember to practice this practice, it's not necessarily that I slow down, but I my body just completely opens up. And I feel and smell and touch and experience the whole process. It's, it's like a monastic practice at home making dinner. I feel the knife slicing into the bread and I feel the blade against the side of the loaf. And I smell the sesame seeds. And I feel the heat. And I allow the body and mind to include everything in my experience or inexperience. When that happens, I'm not experiencing. There's just dinner happening. The reason I'm talking about it like this is because I believe that as we begin to go toward the elections months from now, but we'll be talking with people about it, our ideas and so on and so forth. And my greatest concern is that those of us who are practicing do not create enemies. We don't behave in a way that creates duality. That we have to behave in a way that's exactly different from what happened right after 9-11. You know, when 9-11 happened, there were like, I think, two weeks and everybody was holding their breath. Do you remember that? It was like, Maybe this is going to be different. It was so big. It could have been different. And then after about two weeks or something like that, we had enemies. That mind that I, and maybe some of you, you know, it's okay, and I, and I don't mean to be rude for those of you who have a different point of view. Just think Carryism or something. If we behave in the same way that I believe, anyway, our president is how the president thinks about things, we are no different. It's just that we don't have the same kind of power. So we have to, in our little place of livingness, we have to create a peaceful situation. So not holding to points of view, having points of view, but not holding to points of view, not making other people wrong because of what they think and feel, but trying to really meet them 
intimately open and listening to what it is they're trying to communicate. I think this is our practice as Buddhists. Wherever it is that we feel separation, that's where we practice. Because there's no such thing. We live one life, all of us. And that's what I have to say about that. (laughs) So I'm just curious, from your point of view, what you would say... (coughs) What you would say is intimacy. I don't... I live in a community and... um, kind of a little bit institutional, a little bit too institutional. (laughs) So I'd like to know from people who don't live that way, from your point of view, what would you say is intimacy? Yes. Can, Can you say that louder? I can't hear you. have some people agreeing with you. As you were speaking, and I appreciate um, what you just said, a a thought came to my, a feeling came to mind, a a memory of 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 Germany, 1939, fear of standing up. What is right conduct? When um, and I don't even know if this is not still happening. When people of our community who are um, of um, Middle Eastern descent, Middle Eastern looking and so on, were being picked up and stuff. Did we do anything? Maybe we did, you know, I don't know. I tried to see if there was something that could be done. That's one thing I wanted to say. And the other thing I want to say is... um, I respect now, I think, how um, we're not afraid for no reason. And I don't mean um, other uh, terrorists and things like that. I mean much closer at closer home. We have... I'm saying we, and if I'm wrong, please say something, okay? 
I can say I. I'll say I. I'm noticing when I have trouble standing up just for my points of view when I dis- when I'm a person in the real minority. It's scary. It's frightening. And so I think we need support. We need to help each other because uh, it's very difficult to do it alone. So we have to find common people who will help. It may be that this is our time to stand up, like, you know, people in the 50s in the blacklisting and so on and so forth. Or what happened in Germany. I don't don't know that we're that far along, but I think that we have to be awake and not turn away from things that are uh, difficult to look at in what's happening in the United States. I don't know if that's a response that you were looking for, but that's what came up for me. Intimacy. Somebody else? What would you say? Jim? Continuous connection. That sounds like a practice. Yes. So that doesn't mean that it has to be pleasant. Is that right? This has to do with right speech. And this is a wonderful, wonderful question. Is there a way of disagreeing with somebody that is um, 100,000% respectful? That's how we have to speak that way. It's not like this is... I'll I'll tell you a story. When I was at Tassajara, we were studying something called Vasubandhu. A Vasubandhu is a person who tells us how the mind creates duality through concepts and how we reify those concepts. Okay? I couldn't get it. And so the night before we were having served formally in the, in the Zendo, in the sitting meditation hall, and at night they served a bowl of miso soup. And I was sure, without question, was not enough. That kind of soup at night in the middle of winter, Tassajara, is the definition of not enough. (laughs) And I was right. It's just that it's not an absolute. And that's what we have to get. It's not absolute. I deal with children that are disabled. And my job is to get stuff that they need. Mm-hmm. And I see people just throwing out blocks all over them. We can't, there's no money, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you another story. I'll tell you another story. It's how you hold on. It's a question of grasping onto it. You can you can give the same opinion without holding on to it and set, making a right and a wrong. If you make a right and wrong, people are going to resist. No, because you're making enemies. Of course they're going to. I'll give you another story. I'll tell you another story. Can I remember? I did remember. Then it was gone. And it wasn't about the soup. I told you that already. Sorry. It was a good example. But the idea is if... Oh, we don't... Thank you. We don't know what is the most helpful thing for people to wake up and what is truly compassionate, unless we are really, really clear. And I'll tell you another story. When I was in Tassajara, I was the Tenza, the head of the kitchen. And I knew that these people, to be in the kitchen, they would be the best crew and we would learn the most with these people. And I was on staff and I tried really hard because I knew I was right. That was going to be the way that we were going to get the food out the best. We were going to make these offerings to the community and this was how we were going to do it. It was going to be a great kitchen. And the staff didn't give me those people. They gave me other people. They were wrong. (laughs) They were really wrong. And then I watched what happened in the kitchen. And it turned out that these people learned more. Oh, I didn't quite, I didn't quite tell you the whole story. But it doesn't matter. The punchline is the same. <laughs> these people learned more that way than they would have learned if I had gotten what I thought was the right thing to do. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that we don't always know ultimately Ultimately, so if we hold our opinions as if they're absolutes, we're going to create other absolutes, the opposite. If we hold our opinions lightly, it may take more time. Other things may happen. It may be that the kids won't get their instruments. I was in a similar situation when I used to talk, teach music and they were slowly um, dis. dis dismantling, slowly dismantling the music in California, you know, the music program in California. I was watching them take all these instruments and store them, of all things, in in the big warehouse in Los Angeles. That's the worst thing to do is give them to somebody, let them play, you know. But anyway, um, it, um, it, it, it may be that you are in a right. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm saying... How do we hold these points of view? If we hold them with attached rightness, we will make these dualistic other things where people are feeling exactly opposite and also right. So when I see Bush on the TV, the first thing that comes up is, you know, he's dead wrong. And I have to wait until... My body processes those thoughts and the feelings that come right along with them. And then I wait 
until all that's finished, and then I try to open to what he's trying to say. And sometimes I think he's fibbing, you know. But I'm trying to really at least be there to, to have the clearest picture of what is happening, to be in the reality that's really happening, not one that I've created by holding on to right and wrong. You don't see clearly when that's happening. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you have to try. You have to experiment. Say the same thing, but wait until the energy is gone and see if that's more effective. Yes? Um, Gil has the same feeling about the I guess there's less than that. I'm very uncomfortable with this evening's discussion. You're disagreeing. Absolutely. The small example here is um, when we gather to sit down and meditate, many people come in late. And from time to time, some new person will come, get disturbed by it, and raise their hand and say, All these people come in late and very disturbing, and some people come in quietly. And I remember going. Acceptance. This is one place. And people understand. You can come in 
So it's almost time, so um, I'll share with you a practice that comes from what you were saying. When I'm um, listening to somebody or meeting someone and I feel that sense of separation or contracting, what I do is I ask myself a question. I say, what is love now? And just that question opens up the possibility of reconnecting. And just as you said, it's, in, it's the connecting, the reconnecting back that's the important thing. So I'd like to um, thank uh, you guys for listening and um, also my teachers. And I would like to dedicate whatever merit accrued with our talking tonight to uh, peace in the world and, um, and uh, for people who are ill or uh, in need that they be comforted. Thank you very much. <laughs>